The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined in our yearly summit uh, by Colin Drew and Brian Jester. Between the three of us, we have one $1 million win, three 100K plus wins, and uh, you know, lots and lots of five-figure scores in main slate, in showdown, and uh, every year before the season starts, we get deep into the showdown weeds. That's what this show is going to be. Before we get into it, uh, I need to tell you guys about our presenting sponsor. You know them. You love them, Underdog Fantasy. Uh, Behind the scenes, I was pushing for this deal big time because I love Underdog. I'm literally drafting on Underdog right now, uh, and I I will be doing so uh, very frequently throughout the course of the season. Of course, they have the Pick'em Games. We're going to be doing some partnership stuff with the Pick'em Games between Daily Roto and Underdog as the season starts. Promo code GRID will get you either a free Best Ball Mania 2 ticket or a free wager inside of their Pick'em game. We got that wrapped up. Brian, thank you for joining the show, bud. Thanks, man. I love doing this every single year and <clears throat> picking your guys' brains about Showdown and kind of talking about everything we learned over the, the last year because, as we know, DFS is ever-evolving. And uh, to get a chance to kind of recap what has changed and what we look forward to in the upcoming seasons – it's always exciting and always means that the season is here, which, uh, which is great. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I mean, talk to Davis a bunch, but I don't get to talk to Brian enough when it's not football season. So I love this, especially just it allows you to take a step back and kind of set your plan of attack and your like baseline approach going into the, the season. And I think that's always really helpful. And obviously a lot of the conversation once the season starts is about that specific slate, but really understanding like the fundamental approach that you're going to have to a specific type of game is I think what makes showdown so appealing. And I know there will be wrinkles with the underdog stuff as well. So uh, underdog investor myself. So I'm happy about the partnership as well. Yeah. Um, all right. So you guys are running back the daily Roto and uh, occupy fantasy premium pod partnership uh, every Monday and Thursday showdown slate, Brian and Colin, We'll be breaking down the slate via premium podcast exclusively for Daily Roto and Occupy Fantasy subscribers. Our little Daily Roto promo, you can use NFL 21 to save 10% off of a membership. Uh, and then Brian, I'll turn it over to you to, uh, to shill Occupy Fantasy. This is the floor is yours, buddy. Hey, thanks, Davis. So uh, we're doing basically the same uh, content we did last year. We're doing the daily plug on Mondays and Thursdays, and it's a more streamlined approach this year. We got a lot of feedback asking for uh, strategies for specific contest types, not necessarily just 150 max. And so our plug this year is going to be uh, focused on people who play low risk contests, people who play small field GPPs, and then also the people who do 150 max large contests. And then I'm excited to do the uh, the showdown pod with Drew or with Colin, where we will. Uh, <laughs> uh, battle some ideas back and forth uniqueness versus uh correlation 
and uh, diving through all the players. And we still have the showdown guide book that we did last year with Justin Freeman of Run the Sims. And you can get 50% off that book, which talks about a lot of high level strategies and correlations for showdown DFS. Uh, use code guide50 at Occupy Fantasy to get that. All right, there we go. Uh, you know, if you guys have any questions about you know, promo codes. What do you get with the product? I'm sure you could reach out to Brian on Twitter. You can reach out to, you can DM me anytime. My DMs are open. I do regret that this time of year when people are already asking me start sit questions for their uh, eight team home league via DM, but my DMs are always open and you can reach out to Colin as well. So guys, showdown basic strategy. I guess uh, b- before we get into it, um, are either of you guys more interested in pursuing some of the high stakes single entry three max stuff this year? Because uh, this is this has been what I have found in 2019. There was a pretty good edge with groups with, you know, focusing on uniqueness and capping total ownership. And I found a lot of my I, I just had a much harder time making good lineups last year. So I'm going to be transitioning more into the single entry and three max stuff. What are your thoughts on that, Brian? Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to doing more of those too. And for me personally, it comes down to uh, a bankroll allocation. It just from a, before every season, I try to, to lay out what my goals are and what I'm going to do. And for me personally, I'm also going to be uh, dumping a good chunk of my allocation each week into the fantasy football world championship qualifiers, both on FanDuel and DraftKings, just because of the massive prizes there. And if I'm, if I'm going to do that because they are so costly, I need a little bit more of a lower risk allocation each week. I can't be 150 max in the showdowns and that's it because of the, the, the high variance approach. So I am looking forward to more small field contests. I'm, I'm, I did a lot of research on uh, 50 entry uh, or 50 total entry contests. 150, 200 total entry contest for showdown. So I'll be adding allocation there as well. So, and to be honest, when uh, when Colin won the, the entry into the tournament of champions last year, and we started talking about the small field single entry type contest, uh, it really piqued my interest because it is a completely different game. And uh, uh, Colin, I know, even though you didn't have much success in the tournament of champions last year, I know that there's, a, I think there is an edge there just based on the type of lineups that people play. Yeah, definitely. And I haven't decided for allocation. I think I'm going to start with the 150 max, um, probably play the like $150 three max and below type of price point to start the season. But uh, like Brian mentioned, I was in the tournament of champions last year, which was for the Super Bowl, the 40 man winner take all event with a million dollars to first place. Anybody who won a live final or any of the flagship tournaments got an entry into that. And I had I spent more time prepping for that than I had for a lot of other contests and was able to uncover some wrinkles as far as, you know, guys that the field might overplay when they're a little bit sharper um, and, you know, different nuances at the captain. So I think there's definitely some stuff there. And I know we did get some questions. Like you said, not everyone can afford to play 150 max like MME in the largest field GPPs for a full season. And so, and a lot of people listening to that um, will be interested. I think, it definitely is going to vary a lot between whether or not you're playing a, a casual contest with casual players, or whether or not you're playing a, a, you know, small field, higher stakes with people who are listening to content who are running projections and optimizers. But two of the biggest things I found was that people definitely underplay wide receivers, especially from the underdog in that people overplay the popular value pick. So an example, like this upcoming slate, you know, in a single entry three max, this Cowboys Bucks slate, 
I think people will likely underplay the Cowboys wide receivers at captain. And I, I think that so. they will overplay Giovanni Bernard as an example. Exact same thoughts I had. Yeah, exact same thoughts for those specific players in this specific slate. That, that by the way, just from like the, the most macro DFS perspective you can get to, I find this to be true in baseball. I find this to be true in soccer. I find this to be true in every format where single game contests are played. Underdogs are always less owned than even the odds would indicate they should be. So like plus 200 dogs get played like they are plus 500 dogs, like pretty frequently. Like, and, and that comes from like a fundamental misunderstanding of what the difference between, you know, a 65% implied probability and an 80% implied probability is. And, and NFL games tend to be even more variant than that. Like to the example that, well, this is just so close. So we'll be thinking about it. Um, but you know, this Thursday night game between the Cowboys and the Buccaneers, like if the Cowboys win, Will that be a surprise result? Sure. But it's not like that. It's not, it's not like the presses are going to stop for the Cowboys winning that game or on Monday night, if the Raiders a little bit of fumble luck, whatever they end up beating the Ravens. Like I think the Ravens are four and a half point favorites on the road, which is not even really that big, but I guarantee when we get to the ownerships for that slate, Tyson Williams is going to be like 80% in the flex. Lamar Jackson is going to be like 95% in the flex and guys like Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs, Kenyon Drake, um, even like if you really want to get gross, like Zay Jones and, and Hunter Renfro are going to be like, I mean, I would not be surprised to see like 11% ownership on Hunter Renfro on that slate. I think regardless, the thing that I, you know, was reminded when I really dove in and prepared for that Super Bowl contest is you really need to like specializing in DFS is a good thing and focusing on specific types of contests or specific types of games and then micro contests within those games is a really good thing. And so um, if you don't have a big bankroll, I would, or you have one, I would still recommend focusing and specializing on a specific type because you'll really start to understand the nuances of that contest type better than anybody else will. And that can provide a lot of edge. Yeah. And, yeah. And just real quick to that point. Uh, if you play the same contest every single week, you'll see a lot of trends unfold. So for me, I, you know, all, all year I've been playing the, 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 three, three, three league of legends contest and pretty much down to a T I can nail ownership because I studied the contest every single, every single week, every single day. And then for this upcoming season, because I'm interested in playing more, uh, high dollar single entry, low, low entry type contests, I, I looked at the seven, seven, seven every single week of last year, every single showdown slate last year, the four, 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 three max, just to see what kind of trends uh, were uncovered just from a line of construction standpoint. And if you do that, you can do that with a, a $1 contest or $3 contest. And I think you'll get a lot more information just based on your personal play in that contest versus what any of us or any sites going to tell you about generic strategy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to get some interesting like correlation and group questions, I think for Brian um, and I'll give my feedback too, but there are also people duping heavily in these small field contests. A lot of people enter the exact same lineup. And that is something that, I mean, we talk about like dupes and that makes a lot of sense, especially when you're competing against a hundred thousand people, but it happens when you're playing against 40 people as well, because there are some pretty natural things that happen. And if it's not a dupe, it can be easily be a one V one versus like 40% of the field. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's zoom out a little bit and just think about some of these correlations and groups. So some very common groups that people 
make uh and and brian i'm sure will have some interesting thoughts on this because he he hates the rules and he just wants weird <laughs> rosters uh so some very common things that people do max one kicker max one defensive special teams uh max one running back for, per team so you know line if it has zeke it's not going to have pollard uh and then max one punt or max one punt per team this one's pretty interesting right so those are like the 200 400 800 guys on DraftKings. uh you know or or another group would be like max one uh tight end so like for the buccaneers you have gronk howard Bray, things like that um so brian kind of what are your thoughts on some of those limiting groups yeah i mean i I've, I'm, I'm more on board with those especially uh over the last two years uh, I didn't consider them as much during uh, the Millie making winning season. And it's always those things where it's like it, you have a big cash and then a year later or two years later, you realize that, you know, you, you didn't even know as much as you know now. And that, and that should always be the thing, right? In DFS, you're always learning and in life, you're always learning and adding new things to your process. And so adding these types of groups, because you can still create unique lineups that are good with, with these types of, uh, of rules, because, Rarely, if ever, do two kicker lineups get there. Rarely, if ever, do two defense lineups get there. I know there was a, a two-way chop for like 550K last year with a two-defense lineup, but it's very rare. The the max one max one running back per team, I think we've talked about it on this show before, that uh, there are some scenarios, especially if you're playing like an onslaught of 5-1, you can play multiple running backs from the same team. And then the max one punt, uh, I guess it depends on the salary. Uh, but you know, most of the research I've seen is definitely a max of one, something I've been toying with this year. And we'll get to it in a second. When we talk about our 2021 goals and strategies, a min one of a punt just for, uh, I'll, I'll get to that later, but I think, I think these rules that you outlined are definitely good rules and there are just very rare edge cases where you want to stray from them. Colin, I don't know if you have any thoughts on those. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think generally using most of these rules, I think the one RB per team probably is where I've become more flexible over the years as it relates to five one on slots and then specifically pricing for those players. And if there's a pretty uh, valuable punt that plays a specific type of role, then definitely a little bit more flexible there. The, the max one punt per team, you know, for me, it wasn't even about pricing, but um, I think having punts and lineups is very valuable, generally speaking. And it, as far as providing differentiation, leaving salary on the table, um, having, you know, one guy that can separate you from, 95% of the field, that's really valuable in a single game slate. A lot of times those guys are competing for snaps. And so if you do want to go that deep down into the depth chart where it, it just seems it's going to have to be the perfect storm for two of those guys. Like they're, they're sub 5% for a reason. And so um, I, I tend, well, I don't the, have time the to review. Full, like you can't review galaxy. 150 lineups. So like I, I try to do some stuff like that, where it's just like, this is so edge case. I just, maybe I should just group it out. Well, the full galaxy brain play specifically with NFL is in-game injuries, right? Like that is like, and, and that it feels like so donkey to, to talk about that. Like, Oh, James Robinson gets injured in game. Juju Smith Schuster gets injured in game, but like those things happen with like a, a relative amount of frequency and not that you can predict the in-game injury, but like if you, if you ran a Steelers showdown slate with minimum one of James Washington, Ray, Ray McLeod, Pat Fryermuth, and uh, I think Benny Snell is their third running back like that, like gets you into lots of weird game trees where no one else is building their game. Like literally in a, in a contest with a hundred thousand entries, you might be the only 150 subset building within that part of the game tree. Right. And 
I, I guess I was I was going to get to this later, but it might as well talk about it now. Where, in in the sense of just a single game, right? That's I mean, the odds of that happen is very unlikely. And showdown is hard as it is. It's it's very tough to win a showdown GPP. So you have the micro level of a single game. For me, it's you know try to get uniques on a single game. But what is the macro level? Like over the course of a season, other sports, I have very specific strategies for each slate that I know I'm going to do, and then I implement them into a unique strategy for that slate. But for, for showdown, as I was looking through my results last year and, you know, as we're being transparent here, sometimes I feel a little lost making showdown lineups because uh, I didn't have something bigger to tie it back to. I know I want to get uniques here, but sometimes it felt like, okay, how many captains do I use? How many uh, punts do I use? And, and nothing really felt, uh, I didn't feel too confident at some points, just, just building my lineups. And so for me, if you can, if you can have something like that, where it's, you know, min one punt, min one guy in every single line, because it's already hard and you're probably already going to lose. But instead of uh, treating it as I only have 150 lineups to play punts in, think of it as I have 64 slates times 150 lineups to play punts in. Odds are over the course of a season, there are going to be some slates where, you know, multiple punts are in, are in the in the winning lineup. And if you think about it that way, as opposed to just win loss on a single slate, I think you can have a much better, uh, a much better strategy from a macro level. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think I was looking at some injury analysis when I was writing my showdown article. And I think there's like on average one injury per NFL game, but over the course of showdown stuff, it might be every five or six games an offensive skill player that matters gets injured. And so it's going to happen if you build with that over a macro strategy over a long haul, there could be some fruit there. If you look at it, any individual slate, it's going to feel pretty thin. It's going to feel, it's going to feel so bad. Like it's, it's going to feel like, Oh great. I'm playing James Washington, hoping that Deontay Johnson like stubs his toe. Like it feel it intuitively feels terrible, but the two slates a year where the starting running back or one of the three wide receivers gets injured, you know, the guy winning that slate is probably the guy who like four X the field on the backup running back or the third string running back, even because the third string running back needs like five touches to pay off yeah. the salary. Right. Cause, cause like, just think about it this way, right? If our downside is already minus 60, minus 70% ROI for one fifty max in the course of the year, and we get no variance and we're our, that's our downside. We're going to lose 70% of our buy-ins. I mean, how much worse does it feel to play a punt every slate? Like the downside <laughs> isn't that much worse. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think early in the season two, a little bit of nuance, this slate opening up is not as interesting because we, these teams actually look very similar. Like you know Dallas, exactly who the plays are. Dallas looks the same at how they started last year. Tampa looks the same to how they finished last year, a couple additions, but you kind of know things. I think when you get into some of these other teams, especially early in the season, like these are slates where like nobody knew that Corey Davis was going to get 22% of the targets for the Titans last year. And so like he banked a low duped winner, like people for the Raiders don't know if rugs or Brian Edwards is going to be an alpha wide receiver or just still secondary guys, Darren Waller. And so I think early in the season, when the data is still kind of catching up on teams, there are some additional opportunities to take advantage of that we may not have come week six, seven, eight, where we're having to do things a little different. We could, you know, we also could just just play a backup quarterback every slate and just solo bank like the guy who played Mariota 0.0% ownership last year, which was legendary. Yeah. Um, So let's think a little bit more about captain correlations, right? So optimizer rules for quarterback captain, wide receiver, tight end captain, running back captain. How are you approaching some of those things, Brian? Uh, this is where I'll get a little more loose with with my rules. Uh, quarterback captain, it, it depends on the rushing ability of the quarterback. If you have a pocket quarterback, 
you know, it would take a lot for him to be the optimal captain without two pass catchers. It just really, it just doesn't happen that often. So I think you have to make a min two rule pass catchers with a quarterback captain, unless he can run. And then you can, you can do a min of one wide receiver, tight end captains, uh, obviously, you know, I'm famous for the, the zero quarterback wide receiver captain lineup. And I still think that can get there, especially depending on the lineup construction. So, you know, there may be some slates where I make rules, but for, uh, especially on DraftKings where, receivers can get there with the bonuses and the receptions. I, I likely won't be making too many rules when it comes to those. Uh, and then running back captain, it's really just thinking about the construction of it. How does a running back get there? We're probably not having the opposing defense in that lineup unless the running back can catch a lot of passes. I know there was a slate last year where James Robinson one five was optimal and Miami defense was in the flex, but those, those types of occurrences are so rare that uh, I think you can make some pretty for quarterback and running back. You can make some pretty clear rules for me, Colin, it's uh, a little less clear when it comes to receiver and tight end. I think you can be a little more loose. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And um, I've opened up a little bit from the, I used to be very rigid with wide receiver, tight end captains, always pairing them with their quarterback. I opened that up a little bit at points last year to include their quarterback or the opposing team quarterback. And that still creates some lineups where I can definitely win, right? Or lose. I mean, sorry, like you can lose to the solo wide receiver, no QB lineup when the game goes 20 points under the total. And um, I'm not necessarily playing for those totals, but when I was running the analysis from the off season, there was, you know, some 70, 75% of the time that the wide receiver tight end was captain with their quarterback. There was another like 15 percent 20 percent where it was the opposing team quarterback just because they were able to outscore them or provide enough salary savings and so especially with the high priced lineups and the high priced captains i'm going to boost the same team qb but have the group be at least one qb per lineup so i should get more lineups paired with their quarterback but leave some flexibility open especially if there's pricing nuances or projection nuances for that slate and so I think that's kind of the big differentiation for me as far as the the basic captain rules that I'm going into this season with. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of that makes sense. So the the new keyword that everyone wants to talk about is sims, right? Sims leverage, you know, the difference between a good projected play and a good simulated play. Uh, this is this is like I mean, it really is. It's like the new buzzword and the new way that lots of people are, are choosing to create lineups. And I, I get the sense that many people building don't actually uh, under, not that they don't understand the concept of simulations, but that they don't understand how to properly utilize the simulations in their lineups. So I was, I was curious how Brian thinks about that in terms of like probabilities versus projections and how that relates to ownership. But I thought that Blender actually did a really good podcast with Nerdy Tenor I couldn't get through all three hours of it, not going to lie, but the pieces I caught were pretty good. And one of the things they talked a little bit about was comparing DFS to poker and using like a balanced versus exploitative strategy. And I think Sims can help provide a foundation for that. Cause essentially what like our Sims we've had up for two years at Daily Roto, they're, they're identifying the probability of a player landing in the optimal lineup, either at the flex or at the captain. And the two ways to approach that as it compares to ownership is one, if you identify an 80% play, is going to be 70% owned, then you view that as a positive leverage play compared to the field and you jam that player. The other would be just you view a player as 80% optimal and you just play them in 80% of your lineups because that's the optimal exposure. And those are kind of a high risk versus a low risk framework that can appeal to different players. But in poker, people are successful with it both ways. And 
Um, I think the same can be true in DFS. Yeah, I, it's so simulations are the new buzzwords, and I think Davis makes a good point about uh, a lot of people probably don't know how to use them properly. And to, to me personally, I'm never going to be that math heavy to where I could run simulations and use them properly. I know for a fact that I can't do that. I know other people out there are going to outmath me when it comes to uh, simulating a game or simulating projections, whatever it may be. And so, you know, to each their own. And I think the balance versus exploitative thing is interesting. For me, I'm obviously more exploitative. I'm looking to find edges because like Davis, like you said earlier, the, the difference between ownership and the probability of it happening, just based on, on pure Vegas odds, is automatic for the underdogs is automatically lower. For a lot of favorites, it's, it's, it's higher. And I think that, that makes an easy uh, exploitation. And uh, to me, the best is when those two overlap because there's just MMAs because it's on my mind as a recent example. A lot of times I'm playing the terrible plays in MMA because they have a, a 20% probability and they're 10% owned. But when our projections have a player, a fighter is the best fighter on the slate, yet for whatever reason, the projected ownership is, is 15, 20%. Now we have a, a balanced versus exploitative situation. That's fantastic. However, Colin, I don't know if there's gonna be that many situations in the NFL because it's so popular and there's so many projections available. I don't know how many times there will be a spot where a player is projected to be the best and also way under owned. So I think you have to pick or choose one way or the other. And I think you have to choose which strategy works well for you. I know I'm good at exploitative. I know that other people out there are probably better at the balance because they believe in their math. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things is you have to obsess over contest details and study it week to week if you're going to go down the path of playing exploitative because there was a point where correlations could just win showdown and just properly setting groups and rules. The field wasn't doing that. The field slowly got in better to a point where maybe there are even times where the field maybe is over-correlating in certain formats. And so if you're playing off of last year's data, setting your foundation, playing exploitative, and then not adjusting based on what's happening this year, then you're going to get buried playing like essentially bat exploited plays in the wrong direction. So it's like the worst case scenario. So yes. I thought it was a pretty interesting conversation. You should check out their podcast if you want to listen to a little bit more. Um, I haven't got through it all, but the parts I listened to were pretty good. Yeah. What are you guys doing with ownership projections? Like how do ownership projections feed in to your 150 runs on DK and FanDuel? Like, well, like how, how do you guys leverage that, you know, publicly available resource into better lineups? I'll start. And I think that as ownership has gotten sharper for showdown, uh, obviously, I think, um, you know, showdown in general has gotten sharper, like Colin just said, the, the whole as a, as a whole, the product has gotten sharper, because not only are there more data resources for projections out there, but also a lot more sites are producing content as far as these high level analysis. I mean, you can go to PFF, Established to Run, Roto Grinders, whoever it is, and they're putting out Last year, 36% of lineups used two quarterbacks. The field used X, optimal was X. And for all these different scenarios, now everyone has that data at their fingertips. So I think being ahead of the curves and seeing what is different, like Colin just said, um, these, upcoming, these upcoming games, so this upcoming season is going to be massive and, and, and very important. But uh, and I think that also means you have to think about it from a higher level. Like what, so where is the edge? If, if, if most of the time the ownership is correct, or at least from a range of outcomes is, is correct, and the correlations are being made properly, I still think salary usage is the one area where the field isn't being aggressive enough. But then there are the other things we just talked about, about punts and, and you know, not playing quarterbacks with their receivers and whatever. So 
uh, that's a long way of me saying that I think ownership is pretty sharp and you have to, you have to, you, what you have to do now is have either a tighter player pool or have way more conviction at what you're doing and going way over the field in certain spots um, just to get that edge to maximize those smaller edges. Yeah, and for me, I think ownership projections in general are applied to the largest field MME contests, and they're pretty accurate within that context. So the way I'm using them in that situation is as a baseline to help reduce the duplicate lineups that I have in my MME runs. So I put together like a template effectively that takes into account the total ownership of my lineup, the salary being used, whether or not that lineup is perfectly correlated or not correlated. And I'm trying to calculate a number of dupes that I expect for that lineup and use that to eliminate lineups that I consider bad because they're overly duplicated. But um, I think we need to acknowledge that certain sites influence ownership more than others, especially when you get into high stakes contests, nuanced contests. Our, I mean, our friends at ETR, shout out to Dink and Leone, like those guys have a really big market share in the DFS industry among regs. And so on a main slate, they're going to influence high stakes stuff. On showdown stuff, they're going to influence high stakes stuff to a greater degree. A lot more people who are playing those contests will be at least aware, if not using their projections. And so I think like we talked about with specializing, you want to understand the nuances of the contest. We've got great MME ownership projections, but you need to kind of apply some judgment as to how that's going to flow through to higher stakes. I think that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, especially like just in general, if you're playing single entry and three max, like guys who have much better projections at, at ETR or wherever are going to see the themselves. Blitz, uh, like, yeah. yeah. The blitz that not only will they be disproportionately owned in flex, but they will be disproportionately owned in captain. Like, even if like uh, if CD lamb has like a huge projection from these sites uh, on Thursday night, like he will see himself be more owned in the captain than probably is like game theory. Optimal could be true for Cooper. could be true for Gallup, whatever. Um, could be true for Antonio Brown, right? If Antonio Brown gets like a huge steam or whatever, you know, Chris Godwin has uh, this, this knee injury that he, or his quad injury, I think that he had in practice. Like those are, those are some things. Um, all right. De-duping. I think this is uh, another buzzword, very similar to Sims is, is, you know, avoid being duplicated as many, um, you know, unique lineups as possible. Colin, what's your, your process like for that? Yeah. Just touched on it a bit, but created a template to, try to estimate the number of dupes and then essentially tell me that if this lineup binks, what's it going to pay? And then I'm kind of looking at it and being like, okay, like these lineups that are 6K, if they bink, those are definitely crossed off. I don't know. I kind of got it like to a threshold where it's like, is it exciting for me if it wins? And if it is, then I'll play that lineup. And if it's not, so for me, I think if it's, you know, duped to a point where you win, you're still getting like 30K, you could potentially cover an entire season's worth of entry fees and profit some. I think that's a pretty good threshold for me. I don't have to get right more than once to have a good season. So um, trying to win at least, you know, 30K when I win. I mean, Colin, I've seen some of your Roto Tracker screenshots. I mean, is any win exciting at, at this point? Like what, <laughs> what amount has to be? <laughs> the uh, six figures is what it's all about <laughs> for sure. Like that, that's like, you can't, you can't go to sleep if you're sweating the end of a game there. Whereas, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, cause you, to the point you, you really, you, if you're lucky, you probably get one win per season. Right. And that's, that's, that's on a, a good season. So for me, it's like, if, if this one win will cover all the entry fees, plus the profit I need to, to actually live a life because it's my income, then that's, that's the amount I'm looking for. And I have a, a less rigorous process. I, 
I have a, I have the process down to the T as far as creating lineups, as far as figuring out dupes. I kind of know what range I'm going to fall in as unique lineups are concerned, how many lineups are less than 10 dupes. And as we saw last year, the contest got a little bit bigger. So uh, uniques decreased a little bit, uh, splits went up a little bit. Uh, and so you just have to be okay with that because if, if you know, obviously if it's a, a, a 100,000 person field versus a million person field, you just gonna have to understand that there are going to be more dupes regardless. And you can't just create uniques just to get uniques because at some point they're going to be bad. So I have my process. And for me, it's more about just monitoring uh, because I know, I know how I'm going to get, how I'm going to get my uniques. And once the slate starts and I, I see my numbers, if it's bad, then I need to go back and figure out what's going on until that point hits. Um, you know, I have a, a pretty good process in place to figure out how many uniques I want. And for me, the answer is is, is the, the least amount of dupes as possible. And I've, I still haven't changed in that regard as far as I want to try to get a unique win. And when you're playing this single entry this season, obviously you're going to try to avoid the overlap lineup there. But <laughs> are you trying to play to have, like, are you okay if you have a 1v1 versus a big chunk of the field, as long as it's like a low-owned 1v1? Or are you trying to make sure that you have like multiple points of differentiation within your roster? That's a really good question. Uh, because again, you know, I'm not going to out project anyone, especially if all these sharp players are using similar projections. So for me, if it's, if it is a one V one, that's probably a good thing as far as a, a 30 person contest is concerned, because that's my win condition, right? If this guy outscores that guy, I win this contest. And if it's a little bit larger contest, I probably want a little more points of differentiation, um, but I have a feeling that just using the line of constructions that I've researched that my lineups will be different enough, but not bad. And by playing these smaller contests, it gives you a sense of a hedge to your, your 150 lineups. If you're playing really gross entries and uniques and whatnot. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. All right. What about, uh, differences between FanDuel and DraftKings? Obviously there is no salary multiplier though. There is the MVP spot on FanDuel five roster spots versus six. Uh, what are some of like the macro things that you're looking at on FanDuel versus DK, Brian? So FanDuel obviously is tougher because there's, there's one less roster spot, but a lot of the research shows that there's a little bit more of an edge there when it comes to not only the big GPPs, but also uh, the smaller single entries and, you know, 50 to 200 player contests. And the big difference is the quarterbacks still go over-owned. Obviously, they're going to, to be the optimal MVP a lot more often because of the lack of a salary multiplier, the half-point PPR scoring. But the receivers and running backs still go under-owned. And if you're again, if we're looking at this from a macro season level, if you exclusively played running backs and receivers at MVP as opposed to playing quarterbacks over the course of 64, however many showdown slates, then you're probably going to come out ahead or at least have a better chance of hitting a big prize compared to just to including quarterbacks in your MVP spot. And then Colin, the other thing that we noticed and that still holds true is that on FanDuel, you can be even more aggressive with your salary because of the uh, the salary distribution, the ability for a 5K player to, to fall in the end zone and hit the optimal lineup. So that's the second thing. Feel free to use more salary in the bigger contest on FanDuel compared to DraftKings. Yeah. I think that all makes sense. I definitely still haven't fully unlocked my potential on FanDuel. I haven't targeted it as much, but um, always opportunity to do that. I think one of the things I've thought about, if you are going to, maybe you still want some quarterback exposure because they are optimal so often, but you don't want to duplicate with too many people. I think that's where you can correlate the punts a lot of the time. So you want, you don't want to fade Brady on the upcoming slate, but you can mix in Cameron Bray on Brady lineups. And so you know, double stacking the quarterbacks for sure, but potentially even triple stacking. And then same thing on DK, if you want to play the quarterbacks, but you don't um, want to play like the chalkiest QB builds, I think 
like triple stacking someone like Mahomes or Brady, I think can get some exposure where you're still doing it in a way that is a bit more thoughtful than what the field is doing. You're muted, Dave. So one of the, I, I guess, you know, one of the big questions we have to ask ourselves is, okay, we have all this new data from 2020. We played in all these contests. You guys did all this research. What are some of the things you're planning on implementing that's different after, you know, getting to look at all the data, seeing how the games played out? Like, or is there any specific macro trend, Brian, that you're like, oh, the field was clearly doing this, so I'm going to do this anymore? Or is it kind of just more of the, you know, deduping? creating as many, you know, low, low roster constraints, things like that. Yeah. So my focus this year is what I referenced earlier about this uh, tying in the micro strategy to the macro strategy. So my, my micro is not going to change, try to get as many uniques as possible, try to try to not build bad uniques, um, try to build high leverage lineups, but from a macro standpoint, and when it comes to simulations, you know, most people think of simulating a game or simulating a slate fantasy points wise. For me, a lot of the work I've done, especially since I started 150 maxing, is simulating that process of 150 maxing as far as figuring out optimal uh, exposures, uh, player pool sizes, things of that nature. So I've really locked in on Classic Slate and and my results have showed there. I have a really, really streamlined 150 max process for for classic slates. So for showdown, I try to do that too. And I'm actually still running these simulations now to figure out, is it better if I just run three captains in my 150 every single slate or is 12 captains better? Is is it better if I if I lock a player, if I play a, a kicker in every single lineup for every showdown slate, is that good? What about a defense? What about the, the, the punt plays we talked about? So for me, figuring out if there's a, a, an exploitation there is my big focus. And I, sorry, I don't have any, any results or data just yet as far as that goes, but that's going to be my focus for 2021. And I, I think I boiled mine down to like two sentences. Basically, I'm, I'm trying to get quirky correlations on high price lineups and perfectly correlated low price lineups. And so when I have differentiation from the field, I just want the maximum correlation, the perfect correlation as I can get. When I get up in salary a little bit, I definitely need to be getting weirder with the rules and sort of a rules are meant to be broken structures. So um, I feel pretty good coming into the season about trying to create lineups that are lightly duplicated, but still live. And so um, I'm optimistic, but talk to me in three months. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, we talked a little bit at the beginning about single entry and three max. And I mean, it, it sounds very contrite to say, but it really is a different game because you're going to see ownership really condense on the good plays. You're going to see the quarterbacks owned a ton in captain. You're going to see the, the favored running back owned a ton, right? Alvin Kamara, Saints is a favorite. Derrick Henry, Titans is a favorite. You're going to see the teams on, on the underdogs, like specifically underdog running backs are going to be much more sparsely owned. Third wide receivers are going to be very sparsely owned in the captain. Tight ends are going to be very sparsely owned in the captain, uh, it, specifically in single entry. I mean, in 20 max and in three max, you will get a little bit more of that stuff. You know, uh, Terry McLaurin in the captain, when the football team is a road underdog or whatever, you'll see, you'll see more of that. Um, but kind of, I, I guess, in terms of single entry three max, what are some of your overall thoughts on how that roster construction and thought process is different? I can, I can start. So, for me, I, th- I think I think the biggest thing for me is I, I, I believe that single entry three max and, and 20 max to an extent, especially for showdown, playing the large field contests 
with with that entry limit, I think is a terrible idea for for most players. For majority of players, I think it's a terrible idea. You're much better off. And for me, I'm going to be playing the the less than 200, less than 500 player contests that are single entry or three max. Just because one, the payouts obviously they're smaller, but uh, over the course of a season, your ROI is going to be higher unless you get that one bank. Uh, so for me, it's going to be a barbell approach, playing exclusively 150 max large field GPPs and less than 200 player contests, nothing in between. And really, it's just finding that one or two points of differenti- differentiation for those contests. If, if, you're, if you're asking me about 20 max, three max for the larger field, and for, I, I personally don't have a strategy or know what works best for that. Colin, I don't know if you do. Uh, no, I mean, I think that the 20 max, like any decision you make, like locking a captain there, it's just going to be managing variance and like a slate by slate basic. If the field's large enough, the principles we talk about for MME apply to 20 max and you're just making a slate specific decision that's impacting your variance. Um, as far as the single entry three max, I think the points we talked about before hold true, I'd say there are going to be things that seem odd, like Dak Prescott, like people don't overplay quarterback and captain necessarily like Dak Prescott will be like 3%, 2% owns at quarterback and captain in single entry or three max and higher stakes stuff. The Cowboys wide receivers won't be popular either. Brady might be efficiently owned, but not um, excessively. So, cause people are still hesitant about playing like Mike Evans at captain in, in those high stakes type of formats. And so um, really understanding the nuances I think is important, but uh, generally the the biggest thing that stood out to me is like the field is using optimizers heavily. And if you look at like the top 40 lineups and notice trends in, in optimizer, like those are going to be trends that carry directly through to those contests. And the biggest one is, is if there's a punt value, like geo, he might be 20% in MME, but if he is, he's going to be like 50% in single entry. And that was very clear across a lot of slates. So I've only played a few of these, but I did study it pretty in depth to prepare for that Super Bowl. Makes sense. All right. Your 2021 showdown thesis is what, Brian? To have a screenshot to show. <laughs> so, I No. So again, I, I, the last two seasons have not been profitable for me and using my approach, that's going to be the case, but I'm always looking to improve, even though I know I may get a, a, a large bink and showdown once out of every five seasons. I'm always looking to improve those odds. Uh, maybe I can make it one out of every four and a half seasons, one out of every four seasons, whatever it may be. To me, it's just, just to keep improving and to keep, uh, keep researching uh, lineup constructions and what the field is doing and being on top of that and uh, not necessarily focusing on the slate to slate and player projections, just really focus on the macro level. That's really my goal for all of 2021 and especially the showdown season. Yeah, and I think for me, it's just that perfect correlation on contrarian lineups and quirky correlation on chalkier builds. And I, I think that's going to provide a sweet spot where I'm hopefully getting access to highly projected lineups with subtle differentiation from the field. I'm going to try and play a lot of the second most expensive wide receiver on a team in captain. So, you know, Cooper on the Cowboys, Evan or Godwin on the Bucks would be the example from, from Thursday night. But I mean, just in general, and uh, I, I am going to make myself do this on Panther slates. I'm not going to play any McCaffrey captain teams and on Raven slates. I'm not playing any Lamar captain teams. And if that means that I go over all of those slates, that means I go over all of those slates, but even, even with how dramatically better those guys are projected 
and and other teams have this corollary as well, where one of their players clearly projects higher than everyone else on the team. They're always over-owned relative to what the Sims suggest. It's just that you are realizing that equity at a much lower level. But I'm going to try and stick a little bit more to the data and a little bit less to, you know, uh, min caching these lineups, right? Because the, the Lamar captain teams are pretty good for a min cache if you get, you know, two things on the other team, right, or whatever. So that's yeah. that's where I'm at. I like it. I think that's good. Maybe we, we don't have to, we're going to do the full showdown podcast, Brian and I, tomorrow morning. So we don't have to get too into the slate, but maybe each of us can leave with one thought as it relates to Dallas versus Tampa Bay. And I think Davis, your approach is a good one. I think it's pretty obvious based on ADP and projections that CD lamb is the most popular Cowboys wide receiver currently. So yep. if you're building one lineup, I would fade CD lamb for Amari Cooper if you're building multiple, I think getting over the field on Amari Cooper and captain is a plus EV approach. I mean, we all know fat lens ruining the slate, right? Like we just, we're, we're all, we're all resigned to the fact that Lenny's scoring two touchdowns. Oh, fat, Brian's going to be rich if Leonard Fournette gets the passing game work and Gio doesn't. So yeah, that's Let's happening. Yeah. So either, either Lenny ruins, ruins the slate or uh, just play OJ Howard instead of Giovanni Bernard tomorrow. OJ Howard is, is like the best play of the slate considering ownership how many touchdowns he can score and his price it, it's disgusting but that's just the way it is yeah it's the it's the the season of disgusting plays so uh yeah for me it's oj howard at three percent or five percent whatever he's going to be i'll have a lot of him in, in uh, the 150 tomorrow all right there we go uh everyone that is a a good succinct little wrap up and preview of how to approach single game contests on DraftKings and FanDuel. Uh, of course, you guys can get more information. You can get Sims, all that stuff on dailyroto.com. You can subscribe to Occupy Fantasy and get all of Brian's thoughts on those slates. As a reminder, we are, of course, presented by Underdog Fantasy. Promo code GRID will get you a free Pick'em contest entry or Best Ball Mania if you happen to listen to this like the eight minutes after I get it posted before it fills. And we will be back very soon transitioning to main slate analysis. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest Internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and Internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.